Hello and welcome to another Women in Film and Television Ireland podcast. This is the first in a series of in-depth conversations with a range of women who have shaped our organisation and the media landscape over the last few decades. This is Susan Liddy, Chair of WIFT Ireland and President of WIFTI, Women in Film and Television International. Today I'll be talking with Terry Lawler, former Executive Director of WIFT New York and a member of the current WIFTI Advisory Board. Terry was at the helm of the New York chapter for over 20 years. I'm interested to learn what does it take to run one of the biggest chapters in one of the biggest cities in our global organisation? And what changes has she witnessed over two decades of dynamic leadership? We're grateful to our international colleagues in WIFTI for their support. And this podcast has been made possible under the Screen Ireland Stakeholders Funding Scheme. And for that, we're very grateful. Learn more about the work we do at wift.ie and do consider joining us as a member. Okay, so Terry, you're perhaps best known to our listeners as the former executive director of Women in Film and Television New York. Now, I think it's fair to say you transformed that organisation during 20 plus years at the helm. And in fact, you only stepped down, I think, 2018. But before we come to that, because that's the bit that, you know, people will know. And of course, I want to hear more about 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 it for sure. But can you take us back a little bit, Terry? You know, did you always work in the media? Were you always interested in women's issues? Like, where did Terry Lawler, the exec director of New York, come from in that regard? Yes, I did go to school for um, film production. And um, I then worked for the film department at Brooklyn College, where I had attended uh, as a technician. And um, I was recruited from that job by a woman named Jennifer Lawson, who was running a new organization called the Film Fund. The Film Fund gave grants to films on social issues. And I was there for three years. Um, Then I I was a media consultant for three more years. One of the things I I worked for a couple of different clients, including the MacArthur Foundation. And one of the things I did for the MacArthur Foundation was organize a conference on the role of private philanthropy in independent film and video. And at that meeting, I met a guy named Jamie Heineman, who worked for the American Film Institute. And he recruited me to work out in LA for the AFI. And I did that for five years. And it came, but I really missed New York. So I came back to New York and worked for Women Make Movies for five years. And then um, I I, uh, went to New York Women in Film and Television. Okay. So many of the organizations and indeed the people that you mentioned there are familiar to me. So there was never a question of you moving out of this area. This was where you liked to work in that broad uh, media, we'll call it, but that broad area. during the earlier part of your working life, were you conscious yourself of the challenges and roadblocks that existed for women in the industry? And in fact, I, I wonder, could we take that a step further and say, had you yourself experienced sexism or bias in any way? So I'm, I'm kind of interested in what shaped your thinking. Yes, I, I um, well, I've been interested in women's issues from, um, it's sort of developed. I was, um, I was part of the anti-war movement 
in this country in the late 60s, early 70s, and I was interested. And my interest in the women's movement just grew out of that because many of the women involved in the anti-war movement experienced discrimination um, from their colleagues in the anti-war movement. So I was involved in various women's organizations um, and uh, as a volunteer um, from, you know, from when I was quite young. Um, I was just one of these people who read Betty Friedan's book. Um, and uh, it, from there, I saw it all. Um, when I was at, um, uh, when I was in film school, I was doing, I was also doing a little bit of editing um, and I had a few clients and I, when I was sending out my resume, I had, I used to, when I was in high school, I changed my name, the spelling of my name to T-E-R-R-I. And when I started sending my resume out, I never got any calls. So I changed it to T-E-R-R-Y. And then I started getting calls for editing jobs. So that is fascinating. I think it's unbelievable, but it's an amazing sort of uh, curiosity, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I, I that that I experienced. And then something happened that um, I didn't have any part of, but there was a lawsuit from the women in um, Brooklyn College who uh, were being paid less than the men. I didn't even realize it because there were no men in my position, so I had nothing to compare it to. But I did get they did settle the lawsuit, and I got I got a check. Um, which you know I hadn't hadn't been involved in, but I was happy to get. Uh, so in that way, yes. And you know, years, years, and years later, I found out at the American Film Institute that someone who was the same level of me, and was got the job like years after I did, was also being paid more. Extraordinary. And I confronted the guy who was my supervisor, who you know I was very friend friendly with. I you know I confronted him and said, "What is going on?" And um, he said, well, he has a lot of debts to the IRS. So that's why he should get paid more. <laughs> oh, God. So the climate was, you were aware that the climate was changing. Yeah. And, and some of it impacted on you and some of it you responded to. And I suppose like many of us, some more of it went over your head until later, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Now, had you, you we're talking about particular and really interesting really interesting work that you've done you're from for it sounds like from your earliest uh the earliest parts of your career that you actually did do really interesting work in the industry generally had you been involved in um advocacy work either formally or informally before taking up uh with uh women in film um in new york that was 1997 i think so before you got that executive directorship, had you been had you been skirting around advocacy? I had at Women Make Movies. We did a lot of advocacy for women filmmakers, and one of the things that I worked on was um, when the big the major festivals would list would release their lists of films they were showing that year. We would count up the number of women, the number of men, and then we'd let the festivals know that they didn't have a very good record most of the time that was the situation you know that they had 10 percent women or 15 percent women which was 
appalling, really, considering how many women filmmakers there were at the time. We we knew there were a lot of women filmmakers because we distributed films by women, and we knew there were hundreds and hundreds of good films. So um, that was good because I think the festivals did think about that when we let them know um, they. You know, the idea was to get to them to think about it before they <laughs> did yeah. their programs. Um, and, and they did over the years. I think festivals are now very aware of that, um, you know, division between women and men and, and being inclusive of people of color and lots mm. of different kinds of people. Mm. But and that, I, I, sorry, Terry, to cut across you there, because you mentioned that and it, it strikes me. You know, back, I'm trying to think, in 1997, yes, there was, there, there was a lot, of, uh, there was a lot of talk about women. And there was a lot of talk about, as you say, you know, where women were included and where they were excluded. Was there as much talk about inclusion in the wider sense then, or was gender to the fore? There were, there were um, in, in progressive circles, mm. there was definitely talk about inclusion. And at, at Women Make Movies, we were extremely inclusive. We had a very, um, you know, inclusive staff. We are our films that we chose, we chose based on so that we would have a balance of people from various races, uh, of uh, gay and lesbian and yeah. um, bisexual work, um, and different countries also. Um, we just we just did women though. So um, yes, yes. Uh, so so we were very much aware of that, and there were several other organizations that worked in, in that way. Um, Third World Newsreel is one of them that really just distributes work of people of color, um, but not too many. There was a lot of work being done that was having a hard time finding distribution. Mm. So inclusion in the festivals led to the distributors not knowing about them, to them not getting distribution deals, so that it was a whole train of, yes. of things that uh, contributed. Yes, yeah. And it's interesting when you mentioned those links in the chain, um, there's so many places a very talented person could and can fall off. Yes. There's so many links that need to be in place. Isn't that the case? Yeah, yes. you've, you've mentioned it there. So you were conscious of that even back then. So, Terry, fast forward a small bit. When did you see the ad for the executive directorship or had somebody put out a soundings to you? Sometimes that happens. We're looking for someone. How did it all come about for you? Well, a, a good friend of mine was on the board, and she, when she heard that the um, executive director was resigning, she called me and asked me if I wanted to apply, and I said yes. So um, at that time, I had left Women Make Movies, and I was doing a consulting job for the National Museum of Women in the Arts. We oh, were doing that's a, interesting, actually. Well, yeah, convening of uh, film, you know, independent film, experimental yeah. film artists. So. Um, I was that project was just about finished and um, so it was the right timing right. for me um, so I applied for had it. you any um, had you any trepidation I mean were you aware that you I mean I know you that you had been in extremely uh, important and demanding positions prior to that but were, was it an immediate yes is this something that you knew that you had to go for Yes, I knew the organization well. I was a member 
And um, I had done a couple of, I, I'd been on a couple of panels for them. So I, I knew them, I knew the kind of work they did. Yeah. I had some trepidation because I felt that it was uh, a very white organization. Right. Um, and so I knew that that I had to do something about that. Um, so that's interesting. That struck you immediately. Um, that yeah. You had a concern about that immediately. Yes, yeah. because, you, you know, I'd been on panels and I'd gone to a couple of events and there, there was all white people there. So you, it was pretty obvious, you know. Mm -hmm. So, um, but that was uh, something I dealt with in other jobs. And I, I um, we immediately started to um, do pro projects with groups like the Urban Film Festival and, uh, you know, the Black Filmmakers Alliance and other groups. And um, we do events that, with them and, and um, we would offer a discount to, to their members to join. And, um, you know, a lot of people joined. They just had to be invited. Now, that's interesting and because, of course, that's very much what we... Even we're still reminding ourselves of that when people go, but you know, and to be honest with you, you know, people because I mean, the 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 whole push for gender and and the equity and funding and all of that. I mean, that's a relatively new uh, um, movement in Ireland. But you know, you you used to still have people going, well, women aren't applying or there's nobody there, and it's yeah. it's one of those kind of trotted out phrases, isn't it? Uh, as you've just reminded us there in, in a different context, that when you actually when you actually open the door and invite people in, they will come. Yes. And the other thing that we did was um, we established, they didn't have an internship program. Um, we established an internship program and many of the interns were women of color and, mo and they had an easy way of transitioning from their internship to being a member. So uh, that helped. Now, okay, so so just let me take you back for a minute because immediately, obviously, um, the whiteness of, of the organization was clearly something that you immediately thought, I'm going to have to do something about that. Now, were there other things that you thought that's going to have to change as well? Were there, were there some things that immediately hit you when you heard you got the job that you thought, that's got to be on my to-do list straight away? Not straight away, I wouldn't say. Um, but when I did get the lay of the land uh, after a few months, and we had a, at the time there was a board member named Jancy Ball who was in charge. She her she was the head of the membership committee, and she was very convincingly uh, arguing that we should change the um, requirements. At the time, it was four years uh, experience beyond entry level, and she wanted to change it to three years. Right. And she wanted also to have a special category called the next wave for women who were entry level, but who were really interested in, in joining. And um, so we did those two things. It took about a year to get that off the ground because some of the other board members had to be convinced. Right. And were they fearful? Were they fearful of sort of diluting the expertise of the organization? I think they were fearful of getting hit up for jobs. All right. <laughs> you know, with the young kids coming in who were entry level and, and were looking for work. But it did, I didn't find that it worked out that way. I found that people made friends with each other and then they hired each other. Or more more often, we had all we had a lot of committees and they worked on all of the important events and all the important programs that we did. 
And um, when people worked together in the committees, they could see if someone really delivered, if someone, you know, did what they said they would do. And you, know, you get, when you're working hard on a committee for free as a volunteer, you know, a lot of respect for people who are also doing that. And so they, they um, found ways to work together outside the committee because they enjoyed working with each other and they knew that they were dependable. So yeah, that that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Terry, just let's just to give us a sense for the minute of the scale of the New York organization, um, like then, and well, up to recently, I mean, you're only gone a few years and um, how, how many members would you have? We had 2,500 members when I left. Okay. And would these be individual? Did, did you, did you have corporate involvement as well or? Yes, but that was a separate, um, we had a corporate partners group. Okay. Which was separate yeah. from the membership. They got certain member benefits, but they were, they got other benefits like, right. you know, yeah. table at the Muse Awards yeah. and listings. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So yeah, we had about, I think there were about, um, 25 in that group, 25 right. corporate. Okay. Okay. Can't be sure, but I can. Yes. Look it up yes. And in and terms of, in terms of running your organization, because every organization obviously needs funds to run. Um, did you, did you, and, and, and maybe is it the case today that is it the, is it membership fees that are driving the organization or did you also have some sort of funding um, from various bodies? It was about a third membership fees and about a third the um, annual Muse Awards, which was... Yes, which we'll talk about in a minute. They sound very glamorous and I've seen a few photos. I'd love to be at some of them. <laughs> um, and then another third was um, contributions from the government or foundations and um, program fees. We charged okay. 10 15 bucks to go to a program. Right, okay. Outside yeah. the Muse Awards. Okay. So, so would you have regarded yourself uh, yourselves as an affluent chapter? Yes, I think that we we were very established financially yeah. and we did we did not run a deficit. We yes, you know, we yeah. gave enough money each year for what we needed. Yeah, which is great. Yeah, really good. Um what has running an organization like that taught you about the possibilities of driving change um you know have you found um it frustrating the change is slow or do you what have you learned about leadership i mean is can a can a leader in the right place at the right time and the right team accelerate change what have you found about all of that well i do think a leader in the right place at the right time with the right team can accelerate change. And I believe I did that with this organization. But I think even with the right place, right time, right team, it is slow. And especially when it's a member run organization like NIWIFT is, I have seen some of the other chapters which seem to be much more run by the staff and the, the maybe the leadership of the board, but not the board is not as involved and the members are not as involved. Um, and when, when the members feel like they own the organization, which is a good thing, you want that, um, sometimes it's hard to bring them around to change because they, you know, they feel like they own it and, um, 
you know, you have to sort of, uh, you know, help them to understand why it's important to move forward. And, uh, but so you do have to be patient, but yes. Yeah. So it's trying to get that balance really, is it between serving your members, promoting your members and also um, encouraging people to see the bigger picture maybe? Yes. Um, you know, and some people were at the leadership at the, they were the ones who wanted us to um, move forward, say with like new technologies and having pro and, you know, uh, recruiting people who were involved in new technologies to become members and having programs about that, those technologies. And at first there was a little resistance because, well, we're film and television, but it's the future of film and television, obviously, as you know, it's now it is part of film and television. Nobody would argue, oh, don't have anyone from new technologies and women in film. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, but sometimes it took a while for people to accept it. I think also people were afraid that everything would change and all their skills would no longer be marketable. Which is understandable at a human level, of course. Of course, yeah. yeah. And that why, that's why it's important for us to get into it so that they could yeah. learn how, how to transition to using new technologies in different yeah. ways. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, what are you most proud of achieving during your time there? Uh, I would say that um, diversifying the organization and um, and growing the membership. It's when I when I got there, it was fifteen hundred members, and when I left, okay, it was, well, that's quite a jump. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's over over twenty years, but still, we, we did grow a year, which was great. Yeah, and you talked up there about inviting people in different people in do you think it is a considerably more diverse organization today than oh, it yeah. was in 1997 yes yeah if you go if you get, go to any event you'll see mm. that it's extremely diverse a whole you know by age by race by there's a lot of um lgbtq people yeah. it's it's a very diverse group of people and they work together i mean they are um appreciate being members and having the this sisterhood of supporting each other and we have many members who joined when they were younger and they are now producing one of our one of our members uh former board members is producing the gilded age for instance do you have that ship oh i love it i have to tell you i love it <laughs> and she, she wound up hiring some of the younger members you know as a producer, but when she joined, she was a post-production person. So, wow, yeah. if, you know, that, that helps also that people, you know, they see it as part of their community. So they look to be for their people that they work with. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. It must be, have been very heartening for you though, to, to kind of come from a situation where your first thought is this organization is too white. That's got to change. And to be able to look now and see that that was, to a large extent accomplished and it was accomplished with if i'm hearing you right by virtue of a decision to change it right is that reasonable to say yes there was no resistance on the part of the board when i said i want to reach out to these other groups and they were they were all for it they were glad to have it happen and actually the board was fairly diverse when I when I went there, it was just the membership that wasn't. Yes, board had been aware of the necessity for diversity on the level of 
you know, getting uh, board members to run yeah. for the board, but they hadn't expanded it to think of. I get you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's great. Is there something that you maybe regret not achieving or something that you tried to achieve that didn't work out quite so well? Oh, there's lots of things. <laughs> um, I, 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 we did get involved at one point in a group that was trying to look at daycare for women on sets. Yeah. Um, there were some studies that showed that women in the um, uh, below the line, you know, the yeah. cinematographers, the yeah. gap, the grips, were um, quitting after having children, or at least dropping out of the industry for five or six years. And then having a really hard time getting back into the industry because you know how it is. It's like whoever worked with you in your last film, that's who you hire for your next film. And it's it's very easy to just be forgotten, you know? Um, so uh, we tried to figure out if there was some way that we could get maybe some of the bigger companies to establish um, daycare. But um, there was tremendous resistance. And even from producers who had kids, they were, we were, we were hoping this would help the below the line people. It seemed like the producers and the actors had arrangements that worked out for them. But the other people who really had no income when they weren't working really didn't have the money then to hire, you know, you can't take your person for six weeks of that job and then <clears throat> lay them off for, a month and then hire them again. It doesn't work. And so um, the producers weren't that happy about that idea, but they weren't suffering from this issue as, as much as the below the line people. Yes. It's really interesting to hear you talk about it, Terry, because it is quite a big topic here. Uh, I'm on the board of an organization also called Raising Films Ireland. And uh, oh. it's a, uh, yes, it, there, there's Raising Films UK, which was, if you like, the parent organization and chapters. There's a chapter in Ireland now, there's also a chapter in um, Australia. Um, but so these are very familiar. Um, very very familiar uh, thoughts to me i also co-wrote a report on this as well and as you say you know it it varies there are some people that really struggle and and in fact ultimately have to leave the industry because it just the whole thing becomes too big a struggle and it's complex and and i think part of the difficulty is that there is no one solution that suits everybody you actually need a, 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 a kind of a multiple, um, you need multiple ways of, of points of attack, if you like. And, um, and and again, you know, I hate when I hear myself say this is taking time. But uh, again, these things, unfortunately, tend to take time, don't they? Within anything like, like that, that is um, perplexing the industry, uh, uh, perplexing society, they tend to be slow to, to change. Yeah, which is unfortunate. So it's interesting that you came across that as well in your yeah. during your time there. We did yeah. try. Uh, yeah, but we just we just didn't have enough, enough support to do anything. Yeah, we we wanted to do like a pilot program. Yes, yeah. I mean, we really couldn't even find a producer who would participate in a pilot program. So, um, yeah. it it didn't happen. But I know that people are still interested in it, and it's happening. Yes, it's, yes, yeah on a um on a chat with uh, a group of people it's just a, a group of people who work for the media arts in, in the u.s and they were talking about the issue of having um daycare at like the sundance film festival 
Yes. Well, that, that's been brought up so yeah. many times over the years, yes. 20 years at least. I know. I know. And yeah. It has not been solved yet. So yeah. I know a, a, a group did one year offer um, child care at South by Southwest. Oh, okay. Yeah. I never heard how that worked out. All right. Okay. Yeah. But I did hear from a couple of filmmakers who are going to Sundance that they didn't, and who have kids, that they didn't want their kids there. You <laughs> see, this is what I mean. Nobody, not everybody wants the same. Everybody wants a solution. I think it's true to say. Yeah. But if it was one or two solutions, maybe you'd have that. Um, you'd have that push. But because the solutions vary and people's needs vary, it makes it a little bit more complex. But it's interesting that it's still on the back burner, and you know, hopefully, the future will bring some answers there, Terry. Um, can you tell me because you know? Towards the I know that you left New York. Was it in was it 2018 you you stepped down? It was um yeah, just the uh yeah at the very end of 2000, right. December 1st, 2018. Yeah. So coming to the end of your time there, um, me too would have exploded on the scene if I have got my dates right. Yeah, and I'm wondering, ago. um, I'm wondering, did that have an impact on you personally? Um was there an you know was did it have an impact on your members how did you you guys respond in the chapter to that because it was quite it was quite a bombshell wasn't it it was although you know most most of us knew it was happening everybody knew it was happening we did some work to make women feel that they could talk about it uh, we had some volunteer lawyers who were willing but we didn't have very many women who wanted to um Part, you know, get get involved in and in trying to get those benefits. The LA chapter did a lot. They created a, a fund, I think, for legal assistance, and we just didn't have a lot of women who who sort of wanted to go the route of legal or even discussing it. But we did have panels on it, and um, but we felt a little bit like we've been talking about this stuff for years. For 40 years and all of a sudden people are just waking up to this discrimination it was sort of like what have we been saying all this time you know i'm glad that it happened that it, it took off the way it did and that people really woke up to it but it'd been happening all along and we knew it yeah yes yeah been struggling to um to get more fair treatment for women for all those years and so had the la all the chapters do you think that it has uh, turned things around a bit or to what extent do you think that as a movement that it left a legacy? Yes, I do. I think that people are um, people are more um, willing to say no, for instance, if they if they, get a, you know, if, if, if somebody implies that they'll get a jo job if they sleep with them. They're more inclined to say no and also to threaten, you know, that they'll sue them if they don't behave. So people, and I think, I think that it still happens, but much less because the men are more aware that they could get in a lot of trouble. So I think it has changed that part of the industry a lot. And I do think we're getting more opportunities now. Um, it's slow. It is painfully slow, but um, you do see that a lot more women are directing, especially television, not as much not as much film, but um, 
a lot of women are directing television. And that's partly because of women being in power. You know, Ava DuVernay, um, her her um, series that she had on OWN, um, Queen Sugar, she only hired women directors. So right there, it, it changed the whole ratio. And then the directors she hired, they were a lot of them were independent uh, worked on independent films, so they hadn't worked for television before. So they they then got recognized and were able to get jobs on other TV shows. So she did a lot to, and you know that's her her thing is you can you have they're there. You just have to look for them. The same thing with um, she always insisted that all the um, all the departments had a diverse you know crew. And um, when people came to her and said, you know, the art director of the production designer came to her and said, I can't find any people of color to do this job. She just say, well, you have to look harder. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, because of course I'm thinking of, uh, I'm thinking of Anna Cerner, the, uh, you know, the, um, the uh, CEO of uh, the Swedish Film Institute. And of course that was her perspective, wasn't it? That was her thing. If they're not there, you better go and look again. And, um, in a way, do you think, Terry, that that it is women who are going to ultimately pave the way for better conditions for women? Do you think we are reliant on 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 women to do that? Um, I think that we are at this point, but I do know a lot of men who are also committed to inclusion and equality, and um, they're doing it also in their production companies and in their films. Um, they're being inclusive and they're very committed to it. So there's not um, not the majority of men for sure, but there are some, and I think there'll be more and more. As um, I think the younger the the generation that's coming up now is much more aware and and more um, interested in in working with diverse um, groups. So yes, it's just really slow. You know. Yes. Yeah. No. It is. Yeah. And, and there, there, there isn't. Do you think um, a way of of it making of making it go faster or quicker? Do you think change is inevitably slow? Well, there are. It is inevitably slow. I do think. But I think some things that have been done and more like like this could be done. For instance, in um, in New York, we have a tax incentive. So if you spend a million dollars in New York, you get 35% back in tax and in tax breaks. And, um, but you can't get that unless you have, can prove that you have diverse um, crews. So right there, it's making it, it's forcing a change and everybody doesn't like it, but they want that 35%. Yes, yes. So yes. They, they do. And it's it's been good because they've been, and once again, you know, people only look in their their immediate circles and they have to look further. But it's also um, there's, you know, training programs have come up for uh, women and people of color to get them in a position where they can get on the crew. And so then when people are out looking for people to, to work, they're um, they're there. Also, the unions have been much better than they used to be about um, training and um, apprenticeships and extending opportunities to women and people of color. So um, that's, you know, that's the good jobs, you know, you can live on those jobs. Yes, that's true. So whilst it might be slow, I suppose the, 
the 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 point you're making is we things can be done to speed it up a bit yeah we don't have to wring our hands and say oh it's always going to be slow we can take action and it's interesting that you're you're mentioning there because very often uh, the actions that are taken you know if, if, if funding is involved if your pocket is going to be that's a powerful thing isn't it it is it is yes yeah, it really is yeah i'm wondering what you think uh terry moving us on there now um what you think in a way is WIF's influence? I suppose to put it another way, in a, in a bit tongue in cheek, what's the point of WIFT? And I, I ask you that because I have heard in the past, um, oh, well, you know, they're a kind of a ladies who lunch organization. Now it's a few years since I've heard that, certainly haven't heard it since I've become involved, but I had heard it before then. Um, now, I don't know whether that's because there's a perception that the focus uh, of, of WIFT, and I know there are many WIFTs, so it, it varies, of course, across the world, uh, that maybe the focus was on visibility, if you like, and surface work rather than the advocacy. What are your thoughts on the purpose and the usefulness of WIFT? Well, I, my experience has, I've only had experience in the, I was a member of the LA chapter when I lived in LA and, uh, and then in New York. And my, in both cases, the, the, there was a lot of advocacy going on before I was there and after. Um, I think that uh, there's also an element of supporting each other and supporting the work and trying to get the word out when, a you know, for instance, just in the newsletter I read yesterday, they, the, New York chapter had, you know, listed a the group of people who had been nominated for Emmys that are members of the chapter. Um, that you know, that's that's good. That's good for those filmmakers. It's good for um, it's good for the Emmys. It's it's a good thing to do that. And there's um, there's a lot of uh, people. You know, people might get the impression. Um, I mean, I don't think any of these ladies lunch, but. They might get the impression that it's like part parties. We did we did have you know not as much now because of COVID. But um, when I was there, we we had get-togethers once a month at bars, and um, and then we had a lot of receptions after the programs, and that was specifically so that people could network. That you know that had a purpose. It wasn't just to have fun. It was part of the service that we were providing the membership. But we always were advocates. Um, but you know, it's, it's you, there are different ways to advocate. So, for instance, one of the things we did, and they still do, is um, when it, at various film festivals we would have a reception for the women filmmakers. So that um, that gave us a partnership with the festival and visibility with the festival goers. In case there were people who wanted to join, there was always a discount for anyone who joined that day. You know, at that party. Um, it also forced the, the, the festival uh, organizers to look at how many women they had in the festival, which we were we were doing at Women Make Movies, and I continued to do it, Women in Film. And um, it also gave visibility to those women who did have films in the festival, so people might look up at their film and say, oh, I'll go to see that. So that's that's advocacy. Yes. It feels yeah. like, oh, it's, they're having a party for the women, isn't that nice? But it's advocacy. It's it's pushing forward the women's work and it's and it's making the people there examine what they're doing for women. So there are lots of ways to advocate. We also were very involved in the 
the um, New York Production Alliance, which is an advocacy group for the film, um, the film community, and, you know, and partly responsible for getting our 35% uh, tax break. And um, in being involved in that, and Cynthia is still involved in that. Um, this is and, Cynthia Lopez, who yes, who took uh, who took the position that you left, stepped down in, in right. twenty eighteen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, sh uh, we nothing happens there that doesn't include women. Like you know, they um, when I was there, they established a scholarship for high school kids who wanted to go to film school, and I you know I, I made sure that it had to be one man, one boy, and one girl it couldn't be two boys you know um and that wouldn't have happened if i weren't in that room yes i understand yes that's so yeah. there's a lot of things that we're involved in in the community that we help to promote women and make yeah. sure women are included yes well that's yeah that's that's interesting um i want to uh, ask you sort of um, just before I come to my final question, I want to ask you something. Maybe maybe I'll end on a lighthearted question, but I'll ask you this first. There's a number of chapters are expanding their brief. I notice, for instance, with LA or with LA, um, and the more recently, um, the, the most recent information I've had is that um, with Sweden are now with plus they have they have rebranded renamed them uh, named themselves in order to um, serve not just women but non-binary <clears throat> transgender and uh, gender non-conforming uh, members as well I believe that Denmark is also considering this I was wondering what your thoughts were because <clears throat> in in both cases I've just mentioned the argument is that the focus on women will be preserved, but it's just that the lens will be wider. And other organizations and other chapters, um, with Italy is one, for instance, I mean, with Ireland is probably another at this moment, would kind of say, well, look, you know, uh, traditionally women have struggled here and perhaps, you know, we will keep the focus on women for the moment. Um, have you what, what is your position on that route? Have you um, any concerns that um, with the best will women's issues um, might slide off the political agenda if the lens is widened? Or do you think it's time for us to do that? Well, I women in film in, in New York has, has always been uh, has always been open to anyone, men and women and, and anyone non-binary. And all of the programs say, um, like for instance, now I do um, a screenplay competition for yes, women. Yes, I heard that, yeah. And uh, it's open to anyone who identifies as female. So um, we did, actually did have something submitted by a non-binary person and uh, they you know, realized that they weren't eligible and they were fine with that. I had a long conversation with them about it. Um, I think that it's still good to focus on women and women identified people. So that would include trans people. I think the non-binary people, um, there, there can be, there can be things that they can apply to and be part of, but I don't think it's, uh, I think it's important to, to continue to focus on women, but to be inclusive and let people join and anyone attend things. Absolutely. Um, who, who you know who's who's different who identifies yeah. different. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, yes, that is absolutely true. Uh, and I think even organizations who retain uh, the, the primary focus on, on women, uh, many of those organizations, and I include with Ireland here, would have very strong allies um, uh, right across the industry from many different uh, groups and many different individuals. Um, but it's, it's an interesting indication, I suppose, in a way, how our thinking is starting to change and in a way how the world is starting to change, I suppose, Terry. Um, you know, if we come back in 30 years, <laughs> I don't think either of us will be coming back in 30 years, but if we did, it would be interesting to see. <laughs> Time moves on, change happens, of course, and we adapt as we go. Um, right. Terry, on the last note, I, I just, it's a, a frivolous question, but you, you please help me by uh, bearing with me on this. I know that you had annual awards run by the New York chapter and they look such swanky. It just looks so swanky. And I was looking through some of the photographs and it has to be said, if you don't mind the, the way I phrase it, you know, the phrase you scrub up very well. Well, you certainly, <laughs> you certainly do. And lovely photographs and a lovely, particularly lovely one with Sarah Jessica Parker in, in a, a group photo. And of course that jumped out at me because uh, Sarah Jessica Parker has a holiday home in Ireland in Donegal. And I, I gather was here again for Christmas and the New Year as a regular uh, visitor uh, to our shores here. So I suppose that's what jumped out at me. But can you tell us a little bit about those awards? They look great fun. They are great fun. Um, they've changed a bit since I left. They um, moved from, they used to be at the Hilton and now they're at Citerella. Uh, yeah, no. Um, Cipriani's in on 42nd Street. But um, so they're slightly smaller, but less, uh, but more expensive. So <laughs> they're still making the same amount of money, I think, with a little bit less work. But um, uh, they were, we had, when I was there, we had 1,500 people attend each time. We had, um, you know, five maybe um, honorees. Um, the hard part was always getting the honorees and, you know, a lot of times they came, Sarah Jessica came through a, a, a long time member who's, let's see, who was friends with her father. And so she asked the, her friend if he would ask her and he did. And that's what happened. Um, uh, a lot of times it's, it's either through someone who knows someone or it's a good time for them. So they have movie that's just come out or they have a tv show that promoting or something like that so it's it's start they start i think well now it's happening in march it used to be in december um and i think they're they already you know in october they were starting to reach out to various people who right. might so it's a major it's a major uh event Yes, it's now. Is it drinks or is it is there dinner or what way a, does it? A luncheon. It's a luncheon. A luncheon starts yes. with cocktail hour with drinks and um, and then goes uh, to a luncheon. Okay, yeah. right. Yeah. So it's really long. Yes, it, it looks lovely though. But I I figured when I was looking at it that that it would uh, entail quite an amount of work to get going. But I suppose it's uh, it's very high profile, uh, Terry, is it? And it probably brings a great deal of focus on the chapter. It brings focus on the chapter. There's always press. And uh, it's a thing for the, uh, all of the different corporate partners really love it. And they get tables and they um, invite who they want, either if, if they invite customers or clients or they invite the, their staff. So it's a celebration um, for them to to uh, you know do something fun 
Um, and that's part of, I think there'd be a lot less corporate partners if it weren't, if they didn't have the music awards. Ah, there you go. Yeah. 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 Everyone well, likes the, everyone likes the gala event. Yes. Yes. Although I will say that a lot of corporate partners stuck it out during the two years that they were virtual. Oh, right. Okay. They continued to support the organization. That was great. Was yeah. Because that was quite a, a difficult period indeed for, for many organizations. Um, to conclude, Terry, can I ask you, do you miss it? Do you miss being at the helm? I, I miss the people that I worked with. I worked with so many really, the staff and uh, the corporate partners and the members. I, I really miss a lot of them because I don't see them as much as I used to. Well, first of all, during the pandemic, I missed everybody because, you know, I didn't see anybody. But um, uh, so I do miss the people, though I do get a chance to see people now that they're doing more events that I can attend. Um, and uh, but I don't really miss what I don't miss at all is trying to find celebrities for that Muse Award. <laughs> right. yes. I don't. That's, miss an, that's an international problem. problem. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, yeah. you know, the publicists are just so hard to deal with. But um, so I don't miss that. Uh, and I don't really miss having to be at work every day. I yeah. like sort of making my own schedule. Yes. Uh, and as you said there, you're you're involved now. Are you still involved in that, uh, that script? Um, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, we uh, just finished. You love uh, that. I do love that. That's fun. And I also still am, um, when I was at NYWIFT, we created the, um, the Writers Lab for Women Over 40. Yes, yes. And I'm still a, a reader for that. So I help them judge which one should go. Well, that's great. And it's such a fantastic initiative, isn't it? It is. It we really had, is. Uh, uh, we, we, we had, we have engaged with them on um, uh, with Ireland podcasts. And uh, it's, it's, I just, I'm such a supporter of that initiative. I think it's wonderful. Uh, uh, really great. Terry, Thank you. I think I, I think I've exhausted everything and probably exhausted you in, in the in the process. Uh, but um, I'd like to thank you very much, Terry Lawler, former executive director of NYWIFT, uh, for coming and chatting to WIFT Ireland today. And of course, you're many, many more things than simply former executive director of NYWIFT, some of which you've touched on today. You continue to be involved in the industry and be an inspiration to many of us. So thank you for the work, Terry, and long may it continue. Thank you very much for having me.